welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Ellen. And my name is Anna. And in today's episode, we're discussing Book 4, Chapter 9, Shelob's Lair, discussing consequences in community. Ellen. Mm-hmm. So, like, the past two chapters have just been so outstanding in describing the sinister world of mm-hmm. Minas Morgul and Shelob's lair. And I know that you listen to the books, so I'm wondering if you could pick any actor to read these, like, Ooh. super sinister descriptions, who would you pick and why? Oh, that's such a good question. But you're the one who knows all the actors' names. <laughs> mm, mm-hmm. If you describe it, it'll be a fun game where I get to guess who you mean. <laughs> to guess which one? Maybe um, Mufasa. Oh, James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones. Mm-hmm. I would pick mm-hmm. James Earl Jones. I feel like he has he has a good deep voice. Mm-hmm. He's a good theater voice good enunciation and it's also like very deep and gravelly yeah but also maybe i want somebody british so let me think Mm. about that maybe you could do an accent Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm googling scary british actor we'll see (laughs) we'll see who comes up why is tim curry on this list (laughs) you know what that could be kind of fun he has a very wry sense of humor, so mm-hmm. it, it's not the outright fear I think I need from this chapter, but I think he would play it in a much more, like, Captain Hook-esque, you yes. know, kind of sinisterness. Maybe Dame Judy Dench. Because mm, <laughs> what can't she do? Exactly. I think she could do a really good job, especially this chapter. We get... So much, sh- all of my talking with Tolkien, I think, is she loves descriptors. Um, mm-hmm, and I think mm-hmm. she would excel at that. Who would you pick? Did you have somebody in mind when you when you came up with this question? You know, it's funny that you said Mufasa right away, because I immediately went to the guy who voiced Scar. <gasps> oh, yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure that is Jeremy Irons, because he has, again, such a wry and rot like voice, and I think mm-hmm. he could really he could really do some justice. And then I was kind of sitting here contemplating, like, if there's a... If there's one person in particular who stood out that I've, like, seen in something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I feel like... I don't know why, because she seems like such a lovely person outside of outside of this, but I feel like Susan Sarandon. What would I know her from? I think she plays the villainess in enchanted because in that she had a very solid like menacing characteristic to her voice that i think she would do do it justice okay well we've got a lot of good options here maybe they could like swap in and out mm-hmm. all star cast all star cast for yes. these two chapters yeah it'd be great perfect so, but today's chapter, we're discussing the theme of consequences. Yes. And so I'm wondering if you brought us a story where we could explore a little bit more of that theme. Oh, did I? I'm so excited. Oh, did I? <laughs> I thought about telling the story about the one time I got grounded in 
our collective childhood. Ugh, you're such the youngest child. (laughs) But neither mom nor I could agree on the details of that one, so Mm. that one's just going to get an honorable mention. One time I got grounded. I don't think it was deserved, and mom can't remember why she did it. So, point for me. (laughs) Okay, I want to hear this story (laughs) offline because that sounds ridiculous. But the story that I did bring is about high school and at our high school like most high schools I think there was a tradition every year of the senior class pulling some sort of elaborate prank the week before graduation and our prank I think was exceptionally good it took place the night of scholarship night which was when students who had been awarded scholarships from the school or community were given those scholarships in a ceremony in the school's large auditorium in in front of everyone's friends and family. There was probably 50 or 60 students all getting awarded scholarships around like 6.30 in the evening. So everyone's at the school with their parents. As the, the school empties out, one lone student, who I will keep anonymous, stayed in the building after the scholarship night and hid in the music wing for about an hour or so and then opened a side door to let in the stream of waiting students. We were all, you know, texting, is it time to go in yet? Is it time to go in yet? And then it was. The prank that we executed was simple. We had an unbelievable amount of string and used it to crisscross between all the lockers and make some sort of zigzag string maze throughout the school. It was low enough that you couldn't walk under it because the string had been tied to the locker handles, like that little circle where a lock would go. And I remember that someone there had the foresight to bring a skateboard and was like zipping around the halls underneath the web of strings. We did this to every hallway, except for the senior hallway, of course, and we were really proud of the prank because we knew it wouldn't cause any lasting damage, and thus we reasoned we wouldn't get into any lasting trouble because we were all we were all the scholarship kids, and we wanted to, you know, go out on a on a high note, but not a jail note. However, as things tend to go with groups of seventeen and eighteen year olds, uh, things quickly got out of hand. Word had gotten around that night that there were students who had broken into the high school and lots of other seniors who were not part of the plan showed up. Caused a little bit of mayhem. One group covered a teacher's door completely with duct tape. Another group gathered all the chairs in the cafeteria and piled them into some sort of heap that looked like they were going to start a bonfire. Students brought toilet paper and TP'd the outside of the school. And fatefully, one particular knucklehead showed up with spray paint and spray painted something about seniors forever or something similarly stupid on the sidewalk in front of the front doors of the school. This was the true mistake because he was caught so clearly on the video camera of the front doors and he, once caught, confessed the names of many of the other students involved, myself included. So I was sleeping over at a friend's house, and I got a call from dad, so not amused, saying that he had just gotten off the phone with the vice principal, and why had the vice principal just called and told him that Ellen was vandalizing the school? So dad didn't think this was a very funny story, and told me that I needed to report to the small auditorium the following morning with all of the other vandals. 
So my fellow vandals and I, we all went to the small auditorium, 8 a.m. And after noticing that all of our class's valedictorians were in this group, sitting, awaiting an unknown consequence, I and my friends no longer feared not being able to walk at graduation because that was really the worst imagined outcome. And we, we were right. After some stern words from the vice principal, our consequence was to walk around the outside of the school during first period with the principal to clean up any of the remaining toilet paper because the inside of the building had already been put to rights by the custodial staff. And now being older, I've since wondered why we didn't face more of a consequence for really causing a lot of mayhem in this school. And I think it had something to do with the number of students implicated because it had to have been like 40 or 50, but the small auditorium was full. But I wonder what you think why that was all they made us do was skip one class and sort of like pick up some pieces of toilet paper. First of all, I've never heard this story in really? this level of detail. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm just imagining the phone call from dad. Just yeah. truly unenthused about why am I getting this call and you're going to have to figure this out. Mm-hmm. My guess is to the, the level of consequence is probably a two-parter. One, you're graduating anyway. Right. We had like a week <laughs> like, left. You have a week left. You've completed what you need to complete to graduate on time, right? And so there there are very few moments remaining where the school even has some level of influence on you. I think secondarily is the the point about it's all of our valedictorians and salutatorians probably. So right, wrong, or indifferent. These are exactly the people that we want to be at graduation. These are the people whose parents are likely involved, who, like, this is not a good look for us if these are not the kids who are at graduation. And so I feel like, at least as a school, there's probably some hedging of, like, yes, this is problematic, but at the end of the day, we really just need the damage to be cleaned up. And it doesn't matter if you miss your first period anyway, because you're probably ready to be done and and have, again, met all your credits. So I would guess that it's something to do with, like, what do we really need them to learn from this? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not much, but we definitely need the stuff cleaned up. So let's just focus on getting that done. I feel like there was was an opportunity for a lesson there. And I'm not saying that I wish I was prevented from graduating or anything like that, but I did, like, float out of that auditorium being like, I am untouchable, like, Look I'm at sure you us. did. <laughs> we are so cool. We're walking around. We're skipping first period with the principal, and she's asking us all what colleges we're going to. And it it felt almost like a reward. I did like my first mm-hmm. period. It was AP drawing, and I thought that was a fun class. But I, it was like there was almost nothing. Nothing. It was like a positive reward. And so mm-hmm. I, I wonder. I've, I've since wondered why. There was there was no vindictiveness from the from the vice principal or anybody there, but man, we just we really made it out scot free. Yeah, no, I think there would have been an opportunity to be like, I'd like you to come and meet the custodial staff mm-hmm. who had to like 
come in early to take care of this and perhaps we're asking you to like cover some of their shift during the school day or, you know like mm-hmm. that there would be like a human side to like yes i realize that this was fun and you're excited but like there are consequences that currently you are kept from experiencing mm-hmm. And um, it would be nice for you to acknowledge that there was a human expense to us having to, like, call in the staff early or, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. So I, I do feel like that's a missed opportunity. Yeah, they they missed it. But, man, I know that somewhere out there there's one grainy cell phone picture that I took on my Nokia <laughs> of the oh of the string. And if anybody mm-hmm. if anybody out there has it, please send it to me. <laughs> because i want to relive i want to relive it a little bit i feel like there are two two things i'd like to say here Mm -hmm. i would like to once again reiterate that ellen is the youngest (laughs) i did not take part in my senior prank but i believe my year's senior prank was a slip and slide down senior hallway maybe during lunch or something it was because there were like a a bunch of students that were there. There's just something <laughs> particular about like the last week of school at a public yeah. school where you're just like anything goes and then senior year was always just like I think it was some controlled chaos. Like yeah. is this really the hill we want to die nope. on as the staff? If not, then I think we just need to contain to the extent we can. And they did a good job. They kept anything from terrible from truly happening, but it's so funny to think back on on that and imagine what I would do now as an adult. Mhm. Mhm. So, that's that's my story about consequences or maybe maybe the lack thereof in this particular situation however well-deserved. But I, I want to talk a little bit about the chapter so that we can start getting into examples. So before we do that, will you walk us through what happened throughout this, this chapter nine? I sure will, and I will attempt to do it in as lighthearted a way as possible because it was creepy the whole time. It's nasty. <laughs> it's a nasty chapter. It's nasty. Okay, so we start... With the hobbits and Gollum come to a tunnel, and the tunnel is smelly and dark and gross. They enter the tunnel because it is seemingly the only way to get to their destination. Ultimately, they come to some sort of fork. And kind of along the same timeline, all of a sudden Gollum is no longer, like, guiding them. He doesn't necessarily seem to be present. So Sam and Frodo then are kind of struggling with which way to go. They um, pick a path and then ultimately are approached by something, quote, gurgling and bubbling, which is just (laughs) not not what you want to be approached by. (laughs) So Frodo uses his gift from Lady Galadriel, the second chapter in a row where this makes an appearance, to discover super creepy eyes, just like creepy, light refracting, evil eyes. And at first, Frodo kind of backs away, but then he gathers his courage and draws his sword and advances and kind of runs runs at these eyes. The eyes are offended by the light of um, Lady Galadriel's gift and of Sting, and so they retreat. Sam and Frodo then, like, attempt to run from the hole, now with this, like, little reprieve from the creepiness. And the exit through which the light that they had seen is filtered 
by super hobbit-sized cobwebs, just like super awful, sticky cobwebs. And Sam's sword really can't cut through the cobwebs at all, but Sting is ready for the task at hand. Frodo starts to feel a little hopeful. We then delve into a whole history about this lair, which is inhabited by a creature named Shelob, which is a spider. We come back to the action at hand. Sam puts away the vial he'd been holding on to it, true assistant fashion, trying to shine it to where I'm sure Frodo's sword needed to go. Because he's fearful of being seen by orcs once they get through these cobwebs. And then Shelob attacks, pursuing Frodo. To keep him from intervening, Gollum suddenly reappears and attacks Sam. Sam and Gollum brawl, which is a whole experience, and then Gollum ultimately retreats. Sam chases him when he suddenly remembers Frodo's imminent peril as being attacked by this massive spider, and we leave Sam calling for his master. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. I was so drawn into this that I mm-hmm. did the thing where I didn't realize that it had gone to the next chapter. And I listened to like <laughs> half of the subsequent chapter before I was like, wow, this is such a long chapter. And I realized that mm-hmm. I was actually like halfway through chapter 10. <laughs> yep, yep. It's a good chapter. So good. Actually, I'll be honest, previous chapter and this chapter are like my, I think are my two favorite in the book just because the writing is so outstanding and it's like creepy but also really engaging it feels like this sort of burst of energy when it's been you know a sad slow walk Mm -hmm. as we like to call it so i just i love these two chapters but for all the wrong reasons probably i know but i i love getting shelop's backstory Mm -hmm. it's delicious yes she's a full diva if we're honest she so is and she's hungry yeah gal needs to eat (laughs) she needs to eat and she will do anything she possibly can to make that happen she's got a sweet tooth that orc flesh will not satisfy I know, right? And I love that, like, Sauron and her have this, like, uneasy truce where he's just like, fine, you don't really work for me, but you're going to guard this path anyway. And she has no acknowledgement at all of him, which is just a boss energy, if we're honest. Yeah, it's great. I did think at the end of this chapter that if I ever had a black cat, I would either name it Minerva or Shelob. (laughs) For sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Those are my two cat names. Those are my two cat names mm-hmm. for someone who is like deeply allergic. Yeah, couldn't do to cats. it, but if I if I could. <laughs> right. Right. So having said the events of the chapter, I think we should do a little bit of a deeper dive and explore where you found examples of consequences. Yes, I am ready to discuss. My first example is a two-part quote that is actually split over several pages, but it makes sense. So the first portion of this example is on page 372, and this is Shelob. And she that walked in the darkness had heard the elves cry that cry far back in the deeps of time, and she had not heeded it, and it did not daunt her now. So that's when Frodo is coming at her with the light and is saying all of the elvish words that he doesn't really know where they're coming from. She's like, yeah, heard it before unimpressed (laughs) unimpressed and then on page 377 we have that same exact energy but from both Sauron and Shelob 
quote, So they both lived, delighting in their own devices, and feared no assault, nor wrath, nor any end of their wickedness. So this is big last week of high school, Ellen's graduating energy. We do not fear our consequences. We are just here to play. And that's why I put those two quotes together is because it seems like it's that same, I don't fear consequences. I am not heeding this energy. Mm Mm-hmm. My next example is on page 373, and this is Sam giving some kudos to Frodo after Frodo stands down Shelob with his sword and his star glass. Sam goes, stars and glory, but the elves would make a song of that if ever they heard of it. And this one I I thought of as a hoped-for consequence of Sam... He sees this amazing thing happen. He loves the elves. He loves songs. He is really hoping that the consequence of Frodo's actions here will be a song. We won't spoil it. We won't say whether or not (laughs) a song is written, but it's what Sam's hoping for. Mm -hmm. So my next example is on page 375. And this is, as you said in your recap, just after they have cut through the cobwebs with Frodo's sword. And Frodo, like, becomes maniac. He is running out there, completely heedless of consequences. Here's the quote. The past, Sam, he cried, not heeding the shrillness of his voice that released from the choking airs of the tunnel, rang out now, high and wild. The past. Run, run, and we'll be through. Through before anyone can stop us. So Frodo is not worried. But Sam, quote, as he ran, he kept on glancing back at the dark arch of the tunnel, fearing to see eyes or some shape beyond his imagining spring out in pursuit. And I'm not sure why Frodo has completely lost his head here and is heedless of raising the alarm of the tower, drawing attention of the orcs, drawing attention of whatever's been chasing them. But for some reason, he... He is a bit lost to the moment, and Sam is still concerned of the the consequences of Frodo yelling, them moving out in the open and not trying to hide. Mm -hmm. I know. I think Frodo is just so caught up in the adrenaline of having dealt with this one instant. Right. That, to your point, he does lose himself to the moment and lose the sight of the bigger picture. Yeah, he's like, I just stood down a spider. I could stand on anything. I'm invincible. I'm invincible and we're running to the tower. Right. Which was a bad idea. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Turns out. He does not succeed in his run. My next example, now we get to Gollum. So this is a flashback moment of as he was walking from Eminwheel to Morgul Vale, which I learned Vale is just another word for valley, typically used in the name of something. He says to himself, quote, Oh yes, then we'll pay her back, my precious. Then we'll pay everyone back. And he is really, sort of as we talked about in our last episode, imagining himself main character energy, hero moment. He's imagining the consequences of the actions he's chosen, and everyone else sort of paying their dues while he gets to come out on top with the ring. 
And my last example is on page 378. This is when Gollum and Sam get in their tussle. And the, the quote is, But this time, misled by spite, he had made the mistake of speaking and gloating before he had both hands on his victim's neck. And that's about Gollum to Sam. And he, Gollum does not anticipate the consequences of his taunting Sam and the wrath that is unleashed in what he calls the slow, stupid hobbit by these taunting words. And it's, it's his undoing in this chapter. And it's a great moment for Sam. We love to see it. I have to imagine that for Sam, too, it also probably feels like such a, a vindication. Yeah. Right? Because he's, he's correct in his assessment of Gollum's character, even though he probably is unlikely to acknowledge his contributions to bringing this moment about. And that all of the angst he's felt towards this, this person, this being, he now gets to have a little bit of a physical altercation and perhaps release a little bit of that as well. Mm-hmm. I would have to imagine this feels like a pretty, even though, again, very perilous and precarious environment, it probably feels pretty all right after the fact uh, on Sam's account. Yeah, he's vindicated, but he's he's not happy about it. Right. And I also think one of the reasons why he was able to react so quickly is because he's sort of been expecting this the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like, if, the, if this was Frodo who jumped up behind him and said these things in his ear and started choking him, he would be so surprised, caught off guard, confused, that he would not have this, like, immediate moment of oh i'm gonna fight back but he's been expecting this from Gollum since literally day one Mm -hmm. day zero (laughs) yeah and i think you know to your point Gollum just so underestimates sam Mm -hmm. as being incapable that having this idea really does not work to his benefit in this in this brawl no it does not and those are those are my examples. Did you have any that you wanted to add to our conversation? No, there are just so many, so many grim consequences mm-hmm. for our protagonists through this chapter that I think you've you've named the ones that were most notable to me as well. Well, let's go ahead then and dive into our talking with Tolkien because I don't know about you, but I have got some deliciously nauseating quotes. <laughs> Ready. <laughs> Ready to share. <laughs> yes. And if I could make a plea to our listeners, if there's any way for someone to basically remix the song about the Grinch, but with the description of Shelob, yes. I would be the happiest little bean about yeah. that. Because uh, <laughs> that's how some of this description does read. You're a stinky one. Shelob. Right? <laughs> Ba-da-dum. <laughs> so good yeah it is really boris karloff actually would be a great voice to read this uh should he still be alive well that was one of the first people that showed up on google's list when i said scary british actors so mm-hmm. there you go oh or the i don't remember who the woman is who voices um maleficent in the original sleeping beauty oh. but that would be a pretty great one as well that's a good one But that's neither here nor there. What quotes did you have, Ellen? Okay, my first quote is on page 373. And this one's not gross, actually. So we'll we'll start there and then we'll do the gross one. I love the moment of Frodo standing up to Sheila. Mm -hmm. The quote is, quote, Then holding the star aloft and the bright sword advanced, 
Frodo, hobbit of the Shire, walked steadily down to meet the eyes. And it's, ooh, it's so good. I love the little hobbit of the Shire. It reminds you the humblest of origins that Frodo is coming Mm -hmm. from and is now standing up to the terrorist of terrors, Shelob Mm -hmm. in her lair. And it's so good. It's so good. I know, and I feel like you can see it, Mm -hmm. too, so clearly that, like, it's this very dark backdrop. There's this smallish figure with two lights held aloft, and it's just those bluish glows are refracting in all, just, like, this big mirrored expanse. And what an amazing image. Yeah, meet the eyes is such a good one. It's not meet Shelob, it's... Mm -hmm. Because all you can see at this point is the the reflection in the eyes. And I love it. Mm -hmm. But then on page 378, we get our our delicious portrait of Shelob herself. Mm -hmm. Quote, great horns she had. And beneath her short stalk-like neck was her huge swollen body. A vast bloated bag swaying and sagging beneath her legs. Its great bulk was black, blotched with livid marks, but the belly underneath was pale and luminous and gave forth a stench. Yeesh. (laughs) I love how often stench is used in this chapter Mm -hmm. because sometimes smell or stink just isn't enough. And this is a stench. Right, it is pervasive. It's oppressive. It's choking Frodo and Sam as they walk through the the lair. I like, too, the alliteration of, like, body, bloated bag. Yes. Bulk, black, blotched, belly. And, like, B. It's bubbling. (laughs) It's just such, like, a cumbersome sound to Uh make, too, right? Like, it kind of just gives way to that overall experience in this lair that it's this is just such it, again it's just exceptional yeah, i think she's my favorite villain uh, she's just moved up she has surpassed ursula and now here we mm. are she loves at top mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. well those are my those are my two quotes what do you have to to share okay so mine was on i have two one was on page 369 and so this is as they first enter the tunnel slash lair. Mm-hmm. Quote, They walked as it were in a black vapor wrought a veritable darkness itself that, as it was breathed, brought blindness not only to the eyes but to the mind so that even the memory of colors and of forms and of any light faded out of thought. Mm. Uh, I can't even imagine. Which is like my <laughs> ideals. <laughs> it's my ideal sleeping situation. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> How dark can it be? It needs to be the most dark. The darkest it's ever been. Veritable darkness. So that even memory of colors starts to fade in this darkness. So I loved that. And then on page... On page 376, we get such a delightful description of Shelob's, like, persona. And I just... I know I shouldn't stand her for these reasons, <laughs> but like it just is such a such a boss energy that I really wanted to 
call it out. Yeah, we kind of love her. We hate her and we love her. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the whole page of 376 where we get, like, her yeah. backstory is amazing. But what I wanted to call our attention to is this particular quote. Quote, Little she knew of or cared for towers or rings or anything devised by mind or hand who only desired death for all others, mind and body, and for herself a glut of life, alone, swollen, till the mountains could no longer hold her up and the darkness could not contain her. (laughs) It's just such a good... That's just so good. I want to be here and I want to (laughs) eat. Yeah, I get it. I mean, this is my Thanksgiving energy. (laughs) You know know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of um, Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Feed me Seymour energy coming through from Shelob. Yes. Feed me Seymour. Does it have to be human? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so good. Actually, I really like to sort of at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So honorable mention is, so it's on my page 375, quote, But still she was there, who was there before Sauron, and before the first stone of Baradwyr, and she served none but herself, drinking the blood of elves and men, bloated and grown fat, with endless brooding on her feasts, weaving webs of shadow, for all living things were her food, and her vomit darkness. (laughs) It's just... So good. I feel like she needs a musical number. I want to see. I want to see Shelob like singing about how hungry she is, like yes. swinging around in a big belly, like ready to eat, ready to crush anybody who comes into her her web. Yes, I, I wholeheartedly would support yeah. this, and I really. So I think it could be done in two ways. One is in a very, like, serious and scary and terrifying way. The way that I'm really thinking about it is in the vein of a very Potter musical. Yes. Where she's, like, Lauren Lopez. Yes. I was thinking... (laughs) Rolling rolling around. around. I was thinking, like, Ursula. Like, in my She Lab musical, she has a boa. Mm. And she is, like... Like, shimmying her shoulders, sort of burlesque, larger than life, coming through. Mm-hmm. That That's where my creative direction went. Mm-hmm. As voiced by Cher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ugh. Patent, patent, patent. This is a great idea. <laughs> Trademark, copyright. Yeah, we own that. <laughs> I declare it. <laughs> I'm gonna. We'll write a letter to Tolkien's estate and be like, "Listen, we have ideas. We have a million dollar idea for you, based entirely in like one chapter." <laughs> yeah, the musical begins and ends with Sheila. No, yeah. it's like Wicked, where it's told from her point of view, and she's just oh misunderstood. My <laughs> yes, with her rage and her hunger. Yeah. So good. Oh my gosh. And also, like, I would again say, right, as much as we love these books, there is a real loss for female characters. I mean, right. we, we just don't have many of them. And so it is. Gotta take them where we can get them. It is so interesting to me that Shelob is one of like 
three or four probably primary female characters that we mm-hmm. get and she is like the embodiment of old evil beyond that of man and beyond that of things that can be created she's just like of the earth mm-hmm. and i you know i do respect that in some regard i fear it deeply but i also respect it <laughs> but long story short we all love she and this was a great chapter <laughs> Long story long, we love Sheila. <laughs> we are creating a musical. If you know anybody in Broadway, please hit us yeah. up. We, we're going to start workshopping this. Yeah, we are. Get ready. <laughs> and those are my quotes. Perfect. Perhaps taking it to a more earnest or more serious note, Mm -hmm. do you have an action item for us today regarding consequences in community? I do, and I wanted to bring it back to the story that I told at the beginning and give everybody a self-imposed consequence. So today's action item is to write an apology letter to someone in your past that you have wronged. And you don't have to send it, especially if you think that's going to bring up a lot of negative feelings for the person who receives your letter. But I think there's a lot to be gained in really sitting in a moment of empathy and writing down why you're sorry for what you did. For example, I would like to write an apology to the custodial staff at our high school who came in early to the the chaos that we had wrought without really thinking of other people's consequences only our own and I would apologize for their lost lost morning of like cutting down string and pulling the chairs down from the from the bonfire heap so that's that's my action item for today and I think it's it's such a good practice to be in right of of apologizing and really kind of ending on that last action item. Your example perhaps is not something you find, it's not a situation in which you find yourself often, right? Like mm-hmm. pranking, pranking a whole building. But right. the idea that like, yeah, not who only were are we you, pranking? I don't know. Right. <laughs> but to kind of think about like, what have you learned and how will you do things differently moving forward to assure that this was not only just a moment that you're apologizing for, but then exhibiting exactly that same behavior, but instead are making sort of a, a, a course adjustment. Mm-hmm. That's a good, that's a good action item. Thank you. I like, I like a self-reflection moment. And as we've both mentioned before, we could use more of them in our lives. Yes, absolutely. Today's podcast was brought to you by Shelob's Underbelly Aroma. A scent for self-defense. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you had thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or an email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in Fellowship. Yeah, Tolkien gives us some real range here. It's not all Lady of the Woods, some watery tart wielding a sword. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for that.
quote. We, uh... Watery tots, I threw a sword at you. Uh, is this about Lord of the Rings? What are we talking about? Right. The running joke where we just get off on a tangent and then quote a bunch of things that only make sense if you grew up in exactly our household. It's fine. It's fine. We're just trying to give you the content that you may or may not have asked for. Mm -hmm.